Blog Talk Radio. Podcast with Keith Kokinda and friends. Well, I, as of about this morning, I thought that's what it was going to be. Then, then the medical industry failed me again. So, you get my docile tones with Keith Kokinda. Um, hope, hopefully, this, hopefully, in, during this show, we won't hit, we won't beat the dead horse too much of Landon Donovan. We were scheduled to have Graham Wilson on of Ten in a Row, the Celtic podcast, but he had to drop. There's something up. Um, Russ Goldman is going to call in at seven, like usual, to get, <coughs> give us his give us his spin around the World Cup, and also to talk about the New York Re- uh, not the New York Revolution. Wow, New, New England Revolution. Ryan Seelock's going to call in, and I I know his his hatred of, his hatred of all things Columbus was peaked this week because I'm a bad influence on you, Keith. I'm a just <laughs> your subtle jabs on Twitter this week weekend were freaking hilarious. You you were you were out you were out jabbing Ruben and and Ryan on that one. Well, I had, well first of all, I was at the crew uh, game against the Fire this past weekend. Thank you, Neil Seeker, by the way. I first always appreciate him getting me on board with that. Uh, you can always check him out on. Uh, uh, online at uh, on 95.5 The Game FM here in uh, Columbus. If you're trying to find him on Twitter, just find, put in Seek of the Truth, S-I-K-A the Truth. Use that hashtag. You'll find him sooner or later. He's on there every week. But, um, yeah, the, the crew came out gang, like gangbusters. They got two goals in the first half hour. And uh, I don't know if you saw it, Stephen, but uh, my tweet on the second goal by Jairo Arrieta, Arietta actually favorited it, and I know it's his because I checked the crew website. If you if you go on the crew website, if the players on Twitter, they list his Twitter handle on the crew website with on the roster. So I know it was him who did it. Uh, so so uh, gracias a for for that one too. But yeah, I did uh, put in a couple tweets toward the end of the game uh, aimed at Ryan and Ruben. I know Ryan wasn't happy. I'm sure Ruben wasn't. Either. In fact, I'm probably off Ruben's show for at least a month or so. But anyway, you mentioned the World Cup, and I and and Landon Donovan being admitted for the World U.S. World Cup roster, and I had some thoughts as I was reading some of the tweets because obviously there's a lot of debate about it. Now, and that's that's fine and dandy with me. I have no problem with that. But when I see stuff such as hatred, undermining, conspiracy theory. Okay, this is not some kind of spy game here, people, okay? 
I know this is going to sound really, really weird to some people, but I've got a newsflash for you. But here's a, here's a crazy thought. Maybe the reason Landon Donovan was left off the team was because Jurgen Klinsmann was trying to pick what he thought is the best team, and Landon's not a part of that in his view. Anybody think about that? Yeah, but as I was thinking about some of this stuff, uh, I happened to run across a tweet from Steve Davis writing for StarsAndStripesFC.com, which is part of SB Nation, and he said much of the same stuff I was already thinking. Like, this is this is not personal. This is not total. There's some personal stuff involved in it, and and Davis makes it, makes a good point about Landon Donovan might not be easy for a guy like Jurgen Klinsmann to understand. You know, Jurgen Klinsmann. Admittedly, a very talented player in his day. Don't get me wrong, but here's a guy, you know, who always was trying to improve himself, always trying to make himself better, gave everything he had. And Landon Donovan's attitude, especially with that sabbatical, he doesn't get it. You know, and that, that's that, I, it's not so much personal there as it is personality in that particular case. But the other thing I don't get from, from what fans are objecting to is thinking, oh, it's Landon, it's, quote, Landon Donovan, unquote, the icon who deserves this one last chance because of what he's done. Well, again, I got news for you. The idea of the World Cup, it, it's not supposed to be a valedictory tour or three-game testimonial for Landon Donovan, okay? That's not the idea here. Okay, the idea here is to try to get out of the group phase and see what you can do from there. And quite honestly, with the way Klinsman is playing and the way Donovan doesn't necessarily fit into what he wants to do, I don't necessarily think dropping him was such a bad idea because this is, this is not the same player as four years ago. And what people always – there's a couple tweets. Somebody put, somebody put up a tweet saying, okay, last game, last game in the group stage, 30 minutes to go. You need a goal to get out of the, to get uh, to progress to the next round. You're in Klinsman serves as bench. He says Julian Green or Brad Davis or whoever. There were a couple different variations of it. Okay, great. What guarantee can anybody on the face of this earth give me that Landon Donovan will be able to go out, to go out there and get the goal we need? If anybody, if anybody can guarantee me that, I'm all I'm all for getting rid of Klinsman and putting that person in there. But the simple fact is, this is 2014. It's not 2010 anymore. Okay, he's doing what he thinks is best now for this team in terms of this World Cup. Okay, forget that 2018 stuff too, and that's another point Davis makes in his article. If this is about 2018, what in the world is Kyle Beckerman doing going to the game, going to the World Cup? Beckerman is also 32, like Donovan. Four years from now, that means Beckerman's going to be 36. Can you envision Beckerman playing that center half spot the way he does now when he's 36 years old? I don't think so. Bet his dreadlocks on it. Well, you've got to also think of it this way. How many other people at Beckerman's position can you use? I mean, I don't think Louis Gill is ready Not enough many. for, Not many. for yeah, a top. That's a great point, top that, and, yeah, and the, the problem with Landon, the problem with Landon, and I, you mentioned Ruben Tish. He's got a show on Chicagoland Radio between twelve and two. Well, it's not twelve and two. It's um, one and three our time, Central. Uh, not Central Eastern Standard it's Time. It's 12, yeah, twelve and two Central Time, one to three Pacific Time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, one three Eastern Time. Yeah, definitely check it out. By the way, <laughs> I, I he called he called me because he wanted he wanted my expert opinion on Landon Donovan, and of course, and this is gonna this is gonna make you laugh. He, 
he he asked he asked me what what was the reason why Landon missed the world missed the World Cup? And of course, I boil it down to a team I don't like, and it's not yours, Keith. I, I told him I'm like, well, if you if they had allowed Hall to win the FA Cup, Neil Lennon would still be at Celtic, Landon Donovan would be on the national team, and and we would be talking probably about the starting the the 23 that are going instead of all of this. But in reality, this needed to happen. I'm not, I'm not completely, I'm not completely convinced taking Landon would have helped. Yes, and Ray Hudson lost his collective crap right afterwards. But that, yeah, that's I Ray. saw some, I saw some of his tweets. Wait, did you did you listen to the um blog? Did you listen to the catch up of what he said? They um Sirius no, XM. I, he does I the that part. He does the fo- he does the football show, in the he does the football show in the morning with um, Charlie Stellatano and um, Neil Barnett and sometimes Shep Messing and John Harks. I mean, there's a cast there's a cast of a thousand. And the funny thing about that whole show is, and Char- Charlie Stellatano is the original host of it. It was originally Charlie and Giorgio Canalia, but it wasn't originally supposed right. to be just those two. Get this. The original lineup was supposed to be Charlie, Giorgio, and Eric Cantona. Well, by the way, it turned 48 this past weekend. Just uh, I don't know how to say happy birthday in French, but uh, a happy birthday to Eric Cantona. When, and I see all the hassle, and I see and people, are, people are giving trouble because Aaron Johansson and I wrote up a piece that's going to go on Natter football within the week of all this. I, I'm i afraid, as I've been on the show many times and on other shows, and I actually said that on Pablo Maurer's show about a month ago, that the point, we're starting to get Freddie Bike with Julian Green. We're into the Wolves way too fast. Well, I, Landon, I don't know if- I don't know if that's the case because if Julian Green gets on the pitch during a match in the World Cup, something has gone seriously something has gone seriously seriously wrong, whether it be injuries or lousy results. Julian Green is not going to play. It's that simple. His job is to go out there in training, and this is another point somebody else made. I can't remember who it was, but the Landon Donovan probably wouldn't have played a whole lot anyway. These last few guys on this roster, you know, they're out there. They're supposed to be out there working their buns off and helping the first 11 get better and get prepared. That's what Julian Green's going to be doing. That's his job. He's going to go out there, see what it's like, learn from, learn some more from these guys, get more acclimated to the system, get more acclimated to the team. He is not playing a single solitary minute in this World Cup unless something really, really bad happens. But there's, there's a... a, a a couple of other things on this. Um, you know, number one, uh, you know, the point we it's it's a point I've made a few times before. It's about results. This is the team he thinks he can get the best results with. Okay, this is there is no need. There's no conspiracy theory here. Okay, there's nothing sinister going on behind the scenes. Obviously, he thought Lyndon Donovan deserved to be looked at one more time, which is otherwise he wouldn't be. For those who think the decision was made a long time ago, it wasn't. 
because if it happened, why would you bother bringing him into the preliminary roster of 30 and giving him another try in terms of training and stuff like that? But Klisman is a very pragmatic man, okay? Why in the world? Because people talk about, oh, he's sticking his neck out. He's taking such a huge risk. I got a newsflash for you people. Every decision a coach makes is a risk, okay? No matter what it is, whether tactics, who plays, who doesn't, whatever the case may be, they're all risky decisions. And the simple fact is, here's what's going to happen. It's going to be totally wrong. Is If the United States doesn't get out of the group, it's all going to be blamed on Klinsman. I mean, people are already on Twitter saying the guy should be sacked now. Never mind if they don't get out of the group. And you know, why, why in the world? Yeah, why in the world would he willingly risk his job that he's set the contract for for another four years just because he doesn't like Landon Donovan or whatever? I, I'm not buying any of this nonsense. He's just doing what he thinks is best. What, now, whether or not you agree with it. That's an open debate. There was a lot of it going on. I know I was going back and forth in a friendly way with um, a couple of guys who uh, follow each other, Fernando Sanchez and uh, Shane Tarachko. And I want to thank them, by the way, for our little debate we had on Twitter this morning. That was, that was fun. We had, there were some interesting things going back and forth. But there's, there's, nothing, there's, no, there's nothing going on behind the curtain here. He's simply doing what, picking the, what he thinks is the best team. And the other point that I think comes out of this, because another thing that comes out of this is, I remember reading Alexi Lalas was asked about the 1998 World Cup team and all that craziness. And he said the big issue was chemistry. For whatever reason, and I, I still point to the, the, the ex-Hollywood girlfriend he had or the sabbatical or whatever, I have to wonder if you're the person who looked at Landon Donovan's eyes and asked are you really all in? Sorry, Swooshketeers, for using the Adidas slogan there. Are you really all in with this? And I have to think it's, it's part of the decision that Clinton made had to be with the realization maybe he's not all in. And you can't have that. This, he wants, guys like Michael Bradley are the kind of players he wants in terms of attitude. He wants fighters. He, and you listen to, you watched the show that was on ESPN last week before the decision came down. You listen to what Bradley had to say about getting out there and fighting and giving it all for 90 minutes and laying off there. That's what he wants out of these guys. And, yeah, everybody says, oh, yeah, look at what Landon did at the weekend. Well, maybe he was just a little bit hacked off, okay? Because people talk about what happened against Ukraine a few, a few weeks ago. Uh, how they didn't play that well. Well, look at what Ukraine was facing. They got their own country in turmoil. They need some kind of good news. Yeah, they played a bit inspired, just like Landon Donovan did. Let's see what Landon Donovan does toward the end of the season, see if he's still doing that sort of thing. Whether he does or not, I'm not sure. But, but I mentioned the 1998 World Cup for a reason. Look at the difference in these 16 years. Look at, remember, we all remember, now, we know, now that we know the full story of why John Harts was dropped from that team, which we didn't know for a long time, but you go back to the media reaction back then when it happened, pretty much nothing except among the soccer. There was nothing, virtually nothing on ESPN. None of the other shows talked about it. Last Friday, I'm driving home from work. I have a CBS Sports Radio on. Doug Gottlieb's show is on. Doug Gottlieb, big college basketball guy. He's talking to Grant Wall about this. 
okay? CBS Sports Radio. What has CBS done in regards to soccer in the last, since they showed Pelé's first game in the NAFL? I hate to break it to you about Doug, but he's a big soccer fan. Oh, oh, well, well, good. I'm glad to hear that. But I know he's big. big college basketball is a big thing. But I'm glad to hear it. But my point is, the media reaction over this and what's been going on in the media, and not just ESPN, because that's kind of started the thing I have with Fernando and Shane going back to what I was about the, the coverage on ESPN. ESPN carried Jurgen Klinsmann's first conference live, but you look at all the other major outlets, you know, NBCSN, you know, you know, CBS Sports, Fox, the whole lot of them, it's all over the place on there. When Harksy got dropped from the team, they, it wasn't like that. This shows you what has changed in terms of the Amer- American media with regards to soccer. Just in that 16-year period, this story hadn't been even go back to 94, you know, if it had been, I don't know, let's say, let's say just for the sake of argument, call it Viola or Alexi Lau. If one of those be guys honest. had gotten dropped. Keith, let's be honest here. This is because Beckham came over. Beckham doesn't exactly. come over. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. The, that's that's a lot You and I don't know and each I'm other. Glad, and I'm glad you mentioned it because I taught, I mean, you said that for the um, Stephen sent me Grant Wall's book, The Beckham Experiment. So far, it's been terrific. Grant, Grant, if you're out there someplace, we'd love to have you on, by the way. But one of the quotes on the back of the book is from Frank DeFord, the legendary sports writer, mostly with Sports Illustrated, how he, he in the first thing he said is, the Beckham experiment failed miserably. Even the book kind of tends to think it wasn't all it should be, and I don't buy it. Beckham was a, one of the five best things ever to happen to American soccer, and arguably the best thing that ever could have happened to MLS. And as I've said on this show before, if I'm sitting in Don Garber's chair, I give Beckham the same ownership deal that Garber gave him, without question, without hesitation, because it, the league is better for having that name in there. And you're, and you're 100% right. There, you know, this is something even Pelé had, couldn't necessarily do. If you go back and watch, I mean, it set, made people set up and take notice, really, but they didn't, they didn't, they didn't, to a large extent, the sports media weren't convinced. You go back and, and watch uh, Once in a Lifetime, they mentioned extensively Dick Young, who was a, a longtime sports columnist with the New York Daily News, and how he derided the game. He even showed up at Pele's press conference try, to harangue him and stuff like that. You read Chef Messing's book. Uh, one of the things he claimed happened in there was... I need, that, I need that damn book. I need to get that Yeah, damn you got to get it, and you definitely do. But he, and Chef Messing claimed that in the 70s, the mid-70s, Bowie Coon was concerned about soccer and the attention it started to get, and he was claimed, didn't offer any evidence to the contract to, to back it up, but claimed that Coon was going to major newspaper outlets in this country trying to get them to stop giving so much space to soccer because it was competing directly with baseball. Now, again, he didn't prove it, didn't show he proved anything like that, but, but, you know, the, even, but even Pelé coming over, the media noticed, but they continued well into the 80s, through the 80s and into the early 90s, with the bashing of the game. And to look at what's happened just in the last 20 years with the media's attitude towards soccer, the money that networks, the fact that networks are now paying to carry soccer games. Even MLS in their early first few years, they had to buy the time. You go to the first, the first MLS Cup final. 
they couldn't show the awards ceremony because of the fact the game went overtime and they couldn't show it. They had run out of that block of time because they, MLS had to buy that block of time. And they, so the, so the, the fact that this is such a huge story in, what, in that sense of it is a very good thing for the game because it shows things have changed in terms of how the media coverage of the fact that the media obviously – Realize there's a, there is an audience out there for the for the game, and they have and they have to and they have to cover it. It's this is this is the one instance where the sports world, the entertainment world, are uh, parallel each other. Ever the entertainment media, they simply cover who the public tells them to cover. You know, sports are the same way. This isn't like this isn't like news where. You know, editors have to decide, still have to have you know, some journalistic sense in terms of determining what stories get covered and how much time to give them, whether it be, uh, you know, whether it be online or on television or something like that. Sports media and entertainment it's more about fan-driven. You've got to get those eyeballs to your site, to your TV set, whatever the case may be. And the media realize that now, and, where, and they realize, hey, it, we have we have to cover this, and we have to do it credibly. We can't have people out there bashing the sport. You know, we've you know, the soccer bashers in the media for the most part are gone. Those that don't yeah, like the media don't like soccer. Those in the media that don't like soccer simply ignore the game now because they understand that if they did start bashing it, they would be exposed for what they are. And now, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad like Doug Gottlieb there too. Now you, you also, but you also, when we were doing the pre-show of this stuff, you wanted to have Graham Wilson on. Now I assume you wanted to have Graham on about Celtic, right? Well, both Celtic and the national team. Both. Okay. Yes. Now you realize I'm also quite keyed into Celtic, so oh, you can sure. fire away with me on this one. Yeah. Well, uh, well, the big news for Celtic, Neil Lennon stepped down as their manager uh, about almost two weeks ago now. Speculating, and we've talked about it on the show before, it's been speculated for a long time, that he might go to the Premier League. And I certainly think he could manage a Premier League team. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, I think the question right now, though, is where does he go? Uh, we've seen you know, a lot of people, Newcastle pledge, they're sticking with Alan Pardew, but a lot of people aren't happy about that. I'm sure Ryan Seelock will vent about that, along with the story about uh, Lloyd Remy. Uh, that uh, that had issue a statement about, but we saw um, Southampton lose their manager. Uh, do you think there's a good chance there that Neil uh, Lennon will land in the Premier League for this coming season? Yep. Here's basically, and this is going to be the uninformed opinion of it because I am Neil Wilson. Um, here's the uninformed opinion: what Neil really didn't want to leave. Neil's a former Celtic player, assistant coach and all that. He got sick of Lowell cutting, 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 BS, BS. And to be honest, he also got sick with all the death threats, the bombs, the racist oh, sure. stuff. Because um, Neil, Neil London's actually from Northern Ireland, and we're not, we're not going to get into that on ear. So a lot of it was doing the frustration of that, the, the board of Celtic doesn't care about the fans anymore. They care about their own pockets, and that's about a, a lot of boards say that. Um, You're beginning to sound like an Arsenal supporter there. <laughs> well, I'm also, 
I also put up with what I also put up with what the previous board of Liverpool did with with Kenny and all the other junk. Realistically, realistically, you, you got to remember Neil is very young. So yes, he is. He's going to well, go he's somewhere. Three, maybe. Yeah, maybe that because he didn't play. He didn't, he stopped playing a bit ago. Um. Realistically, what I would yeah, do with that, him, I believe, that I believe was connected with some of the uh, sectarianism and stuff as well. So him get him getting out of Scotland probably is a good thing mentally for him because you notice he when he was in because he played in the lower leagues, no problem. England loved he him. He turns forty three. He turns forty three next month. So I mean, still he could be could. There's some players that are playing that are older than him. Um, I would put him in the championship right now and let him build up because he's already going to get more money than he's he was going to get with Celtic anyway, because Lowell doesn't like to give any, any, any money anyway. What would you, I would give him, I would give him Southampton if he was guaranteed he was going to keep the guys that were staying. If Shaw, Lalana, Lambert, Rodriguez are all, and Jordan Powell, um, Ward Paws were staying. I would say go there. Right now, Southampton is going to be a sinking ship really, really fast. And people are going to start picking off that team right. What would be smart with him is to go to a smaller team that has a lot of, that has money that really cares about its coach. Now, West Brom isn't that because they've run out two in a year. There's got to be something out there for him. I mean, someone like a Crystal Palace type that promotes from within, that, that sells from within, but gives you 10 to $20 million to go out there. Because I am not convinced, that, I am not convinced, unlike a lot of the Celtic fans, that Neil Lennon doesn't know what he's doing. Because a lot of people thought, well, Neil, couldn't, Neil didn't know what type of players to get. He, he had to... He got, I mean, his last transfer group that he brought in the Celtic was just abomination. There's a couple that turned out. I say you give him something good, something like a lower one. Like, I would give, I wouldn't give him Newcastle because Mike Ashley is an idiot. Um, I think he could do wonders at a place like Sunderland with a, with a Josie Altidore. Because I think he's the type of, Neil is the type of coach that people would believe in, and he just got sick. Yeah. He just got sick of it after a while. Yeah, yeah. You make you make you make very good points about going to either a lower level uh, Premier League or Championship team because I think I think he's smart enough to understand that. Hey, yeah, yes, I'm Celtic. Yes, we were the big dogs in Scotland, uh, but it's not like being in the Premier League. And I've said before, you know, there's been a lot of people speculating about. You know, Celtic and one-day Rangers, assuming they get back to the top flight and status and return to what something resembling what they used to be before the crooks came in and screwed it all up with their tax with their tax dodging, that Celtic and Rangers should join the Premier League. And I've always said if they did that, they'd be pretty much mid-table teams, maybe lower-table teams. They they occasionally find themselves in relegation because the money just isn't there. Now, maybe the fact that he's apparently getting more of that TV money might make a difference, but I couldn't see Rangers and Celtic being perennial 
contenders for European places. They'd get their they'd fluctuate back and forth. So I think Lennon would be smart enough to realize, hey, you know, even if a job did become available at one of the big clubs, it probably wouldn't be advisable. Newcastle ownership aside, you know, they just appoint, of course, they just appointed, uh, as I mentioned, Southampton's uh, manager uh, Mauricio Pochettino as their new gaffer. Uh, so they. Uh, this uh, or Spurs did, I should say. Sorry, Spurs took them, uh, took him on. Uh, so yeah, Southampton or Sunderland would be a very good situation for him to get into, uh, especially if you because know, those teams, barring something strange, you could see that they're going to stay there for a while. So he gets you know, give him a couple of years, learn this stuff, learn what's yeah. going on, get acclimated, and then when you know things change up at the top and when something happens where an opening comes up in one of the bigger clubs, then he'd be able to, then uh, he might look to get in on that. But I do see, I definitely see him, uh, a good possibility of him getting into the Premier League as well. Now we're going to switch back to the national team. Russ Goldman from the Cottage Talk podcast uh, has joined us. And uh, Russ, uh, I assume Tom Brady's still not sucking up there in, uh, in New England, right? That's what he claims, anyway. No, Tom Brady's still playing well. Yeah, because there was this, I saw a brief story about him. It says just because he's 36 doesn't mean he's going to suck all of a sudden. So uh, no, no, no. Um, I think Tom Brady will be the quarterback of the New England Patriots this year. I'm not. I'm not too. You know, I'm not worried about a, that at yeah, all. Yeah, that, that's a that's a pretty safe bet, I'd say. <laughs> so anyway, we. I don't know how much you heard of us talking about the national team, uh, but of course the video with Landon Donovan. And everything else, but I just I, there are those for those people who say this. There's something behind the scenes going on we don't know about or anything else. I think it's a bunch of garbage. I just think he just made the decision based on him picking what he thinks is the best team. Period. End of end of discussion. Any of this other nonsense about you know not get not getting along with him or whatever or planning for 2018 for whatever or everything else like that is, is bunk. What do you think? Well, what's funny, uh, Keith, and uh, I was thinking about this before I came on. I'm going to give you an analogy that you can relate to. Uh, I see this as, as, a, as a Bill Belichick type of move, and uh, this is going to involve <laughs> yeah. a former Ohio sure, State sure. player. This is going to involve a former Ohio State player by the name of Terry Glenn. Mike. Oh, I, was, uh, I thought you were going to go with Mike Rabel, but go ahead. Uh, no, I'm actually going to go with Terry Glenn because uh, Terry Glenn – I guess you could say got out of favor with, with Bill Belichick, very talented player, but there were some questions about did he want to play? Did he want to give it 100% for the New England Patriots? Was he injured? Was he not injured? And Belichick basically decided he was going to go, go without Terry Glenn, even though Terry Glenn could help him win you know, uh, football games. He decided that it was better for the team to go without Terry Glenn. Now, if you're asking me, go, go into Landon Donovan. Landon Donovan, I, I'll be on record as saying I would have, if I'm Jorgen Klinsman, I would have, I would have had him coming off the bench in the World Cup. That's what I would have, would have done. But I do understand why he's doing this. This is basically him putting his stamp on the U.S. men's national team. This is now Jorgen Klinsman's team. And everyone's questioning the reasons behind it, but I'll go back to you with this, Keith. Do you think that he would make a decision that he, 
that he's not comfortable with? Do you think that he's making a decision um, to take the 23 players that he thinks gives him the best chance to win? I think that he has a plan, and for some reason it doesn't involve Landon Donovan. And uh, I, yeah, I think he knows I, how I he's agree. going to play. Yeah, and, I agree uh, and he's not in his I, plans. Yeah, I said before, the Clippers is a very pragmatic individual, and he understands it's the results that matter. And if he gets the results, that's all there, that's all there is to it. Uh, you know, as far as putting his stamp on it, uh, I, I I don't know how much stock I put in that necessarily. I just I just think it's more the case this is the way I think it should be done. This is the way I want to play, and Landon just doesn't fit into it as well as some of the other players right. do. And I think and I think that is the case. You know, if he were playing somewhat differently, because you know, Landon's not the out and out pure goal scorer necessarily that some of these other guys are, but you can't really use them as attacking midfield because there's more options back there either. I think if Donovan were a fullback, this wouldn't be an issue. He's, the, the issue to me with this team, he's got more than enough options up front where I don't think, you know, I, I, first of all, he doesn't, especially with the formation he wants to play, he doesn't, Donovan doesn't fit into it as well as some of these other guys do. And, and as I said, I for those who think yeah you need him off the bench to get him that goal near the end of a game or something okay fine you guarantee me that's going to happen as show me where you've got the proof that says yes he's going to be able to do that you don't know that for sure nobody does that who's to say Wondolowski can't do it you know, who's to say Brad Davis can do can do it who, who knows you don't know these Joy it's the same go go but I bet you Tom Brady go back to him you know who. There is no way in the world anybody could have foretold what he was going to become. And likely, and there's other guys like Orion Leaf, who everybody thought was going to be the great Lucio. He was number two behind Peyton Manning. Look what happened there. You can't foretell the future in a game, in a game of American football where these guys are over-scouted and over-analyzed and over-measured to pieces on live national television. Never mind a game like soccer where there's so where so much of what they do out there is out of pure instinct and they're what their own minds and bodies tell them to do and not so not a bunch of pre programmed playbooks off a computer someplace. So yeah. you know, I refuse to buy into that line oh Landon Donovan can still get you a goal. I say, Fine, prove it to me. Prove to me that in Brazil four weeks from now against Ghana, he's gonna be able to come off the bench in the last fifteen minutes and get us a goal to get us to draw a win. You can't do it. Well, well, Keith, I'm going to throw out a name to you that, that I think could get goals off the bench or maybe could even start. How about Chris Wondolowski? He That's keeps on proving himself even, over yeah. and over you again. What, you look at what Wondo, to me, is a key guy, even though he may not be in the first 11. Wondo was a key guy. You look at how well he fit in, even coming off the bench. That's what, what I'm saying. Know, he, and, yeah, he and even though Eddie Johnson's not playing, and Graham Zuzzi for the dynamite trio. And he really benefited from what Zuzi can do out of the midfield, the service he can provide. And I don't think Donovan provides that as much. And I'm sure that's part of his thinking in turn. Because people talk about Julian Green. And I said before, unless something really, really disastrous happens, Julian Green is not playing in this World Cup. He's along for the ride, pure and simple. This, if this came down to a choice between anybody, it was not Julian Green and Landon Donovan. It was Chris Wondolowski and Landon Donovan. And Wondo right. fits in better with the way Clinton wants to play and the fact that he's younger, too. Bruce Arena said, World Cup's for young guys. 
you got to play seven games in four weeks if you if you get that far. Okay, this thing you thirty somethings don't do as well for the most part. I mean, there are some exceptions. I think Beckerman is Kyle Beckerman is clearly one of them. But what Beckerman done is not what Landon Donovan's doing up front. So right, I, right, and Keith. Right, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say I'm glad that you brought up Kyle Beckerman because because that could be an argument why. Why is someone uh, like Kyle Beckerman going? And and I got to tell you, I am glad that Kyle Beckerman is going because well, I, I think you today, need yeah, someone like yeah. him on your cl- on your team. He's the type of player that 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 you want to go. I guess you could say bad choice of word, but to battle with. I think he's someone that you know well, you're going to get a hundred percent out of. And uh, that's why I'm glad that he is going. That here's yeah, a kid again. I don't know. I don't know if you've watched watched. Um, the docu series, but but I mean, he wanted this from a very early age. He wanted to be a member of yeah. the U.S. men's yeah. national team, and the fact that he's getting a chance to go, and I think will actually play a role in some way. I think is a. I, I think that's a positive move. You mentioned, yeah, you know, right. you mentioned Beckham Brad Davis Beckham again. These are players that can help you. Yeah, Beckham and Bradley are the kind of guy, and I'm not denying their talent. They're, they're talented players. I'm not trying to downgrade at all, but they're the kind of guys. That every team needs, they leave both of them will leave every inch of skin on the field. Right. They have to to win a game, and that's what Klinsman wants out of these guys. And I don't think in his mind Donovan has that. I think that's what it really came down to more than anything else. I think he looked Donovan in the eye. I don't know this for sure, and I'll never know it, obviously. But I think when he looked Donovan in the eye and asked him, "Are you all in with this?" and whatever if Donovan answered yes, I don't think Klinsman believed him. And I think that's part. That's part. At least part of the reason why he was not picked. He, you, you, you mentioned that series. Go back and listen to what Bradley says. Brad, Beckham is like that too. Although Beckham doesn't talk nearly as much, but that's you. Know, you wants guys who will go out there and play like he did. You'll know, go out there, leave it all out there. And I'm not sure Donovan has that mindset anymore. Right, right. And Keith, that to me is why. Again, I don't know that a hundred percent, but. But when I see some of the players that he picked, and, and, and again, I, I've, I've heard the criticisms. I, I've been listening to the podcast. But I look at, you know, again, everyone's focusing on the players that, that are not going, obviously, Landon Donovan is number one. I'm looking at the players that he picked and thinking, you know what? I like, like I said, I like the fact that, that he's taking Kyle Beckham because I think, think, uh, think oh, yeah. he, he's got a chance to play really well, like you said, with a Michael Bradley. You know, again, players that, you know, I mentioned, I like Brad Davis. You call me crazy, I like Brad Davis. I like Wondolowski. Wondolowski is just a goal scorer. You know, and that's why I'm thinking. And you need that at some point. You right. have to have that. He's and, just a goal scorer. He's not flashy. But you know what? This is the World Cup. You don't need flash. You just need someone that can score goals. We're talking about Landon Donovan having the ability to score goals off the bench. Why can't Wondolowski do the same? That's I think That's my can, point on that. And you, and, you make, and you make a couple of great points. So number one, yeah, this is this is the World Cup. It's, this is not the World Figure Skating Championships. There's no points for artistic impression. The idea is oh, to get the result and progress. It is the World Diving Championships, though. Yeah, well, that's another art altogether. But, but yeah, I, I, I had to get Bradley, that in there. Yeah, yeah, oh, of course. But with Beckerman and Bradley, you're dealing with two guys to be very important not so much offensively, but defensively, especially against a team like Portugal, which probably presents the biggest challenge in terms of pure pure pace. Uh, those two guys are going to be very important to kind of slow those guys down. In fact, we've seen 
both Beckerman and Bradley execute that very, very well in the past. So that's why I was very glad to see. You knew Bradley was going to make it. Beckerman was a little bit iffy in some people's eyes. But I was very glad to see uh, Kyle Beckerman get the spot as well because I think he's, he's going to be a very important player, uh, again, especially against a team like Portugal. No, I definitely listen. I definitely agree with you there, Keith, and that's why you know. Again, I know everyone's focused on on, uh, on Landon Donovan, and I and I get that, and and some of the other players that aren't going to be there. But but at some point we need to move on. At some point we have to say, okay, these are the players we do have, and how are they going to work out? And that's what you know. Again, that's what's interesting about tonight with the uh, with the friendly tonight. Again, are we going to learn anything tonight? I don't know because of the opponent, but. It's a step, you know, it's a step in the right direction that we can actually look at and try to get an idea of what Klinsman's going to do. And what's interesting... And I'm not sure how much we're going to learn, especially defensively, because this is also from Stars and Stripes FC, that he's going to be doing a little experimenting as far as to find out what his back four is going to be like. And to me, that's the the key to this whole thing right now. Well, the back four is going to be everything, uh, Keith. I'm glad that you talked about that because... There's so much uncertainty with that. He has to get that right because right. because if they because don't get the big, that, that back four right, they are they're not getting out of the group. Yeah, because he and he obviously realized that because of all the backs that he took because he understands full well he still does not know at this point if Omar Gonzalez is going to be 100 percent fit and ready to go uh, in four weeks. That that and that so when you look at who he took, uh, he's obviously hedging his bet as far as that's concerned. Uh, Ryan Rosenblatt's article on Stars and Stripes I've seen today says if trading, uh, yesterday's trading session is to be believed, you're looking right now at a back four of Demarcus Beasley, Matt Beasley, Jeff Cameron, and Fabian Johnson. Yeah. Uh, obviously, if Gonzalez is 100% healthy by the time uh, the Ghana game rolls around, that might change. And it probably should, probably will change if they can find But that's, you're going to see the, 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 the three games. Ryan makes it clear, you're going to see some different combinations in the back because Klinsman does not want to change that back for once he gets into tournament play, and that's why it, it, that's why Gonzalez is such a wild card in this situation. Another one of those people, his girlfriend or significant other, Kyla Knapp, I want to get on this show in the worst way, just because those two are hilarious, and they are great writers, and well, I could get Kayla Knapp on the show because you you would lo- you would love it. She's a big Man United fan and misguided. <laughs> Kayla hell. and I are connected. Kayla and I follow each other on Twitter and we go back and forth about that occasionally. And it was it wasn't pretty at the end of this past Premier League season. That's for sure. So yeah, I know. Yeah, Kayla and I are have already. Uh, we we at least at Twitter we get on okay so far. Although it has been that extensive because she's a a lot busier than I am these days in terms of her media work. Now, R- Russ. Yeah. I don't know how much you follow the other league other than Fulham and EPL. I mean, we were discussing. I assure you, listen, listen about Neil Lennon coming, being a free manager right now. How right. much have you thought of him, and where would you put him if you were given the opportunity? Neil Neil Lennon. You know, listen, he's done a tremendous job. Uh, with Celtic, I'm 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 very surprised about the situation there. So, you know, listen, there there have been people at, at uh, you know phone supporters that that have been clamoring to get Neil Lennon. I, I I've seen it. 
um, that's not going to happen, obviously, because because we're going because we're going ahead with um, with Felix. But uh, I wouldn't be, you know, again, I wouldn't be surprised to see him in the EPL. I wouldn't be surprised to see him in the championship. It's a, it's it's really going to be up to him. He's good enough to be a manager in the uh, Barclays Premier League. I mean, uh, I don't know, you know, again, if if you're asking me, if I'm the owner of uh, of uh, QPR. I get rid of Harry Redknapp and put him in. That's that's what I would do because I can't stand Harry Redknapp. So I would do that. <laughs> and he's good enough. And to be honest with you, he's good enough. He's good enough. Harry Redknapp is just a figure. I I'm just I, I I've got my issues with that guy. Going going back a little bit, and uh, you know what? Uh, you know I wouldn't want it to happen because I don't want to see QPR stay up. But if you did that, I think QPR would would stay in the league for a while. But but um, you know, again, that's a type of club that I think he would, he, he'd be able to turn around. You know, but uh, you know, again, there. Listen, there are some championship sides that could use him as well. I mean, uh, it's really, you know, it's really up to him what he wants to do. But Southampton's in the American market for a manager now. That could happen, and that would be that. Keith, yeah. that would be an excellent place for him to go because. Yeah. Southampton are, 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 are built for the long term. So, yeah, yeah. Southampton and Sunderland were two clubs that uh, Stephen mentioned. He's right. But just, just, just for the record, Stephen, I know you mentioned Neil Lennon and the, the the sectarian death threats he faced as a manager. He faced that stuff as a player too back in in 2002. Um, yeah. Because you, you've got See, it, a guy. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's going to be very interesting because Celtic have to understand right now that they Rangers are on their way back. Next year, Rangers will be in the first division. They've made they've been promoted back to back seasons. Now there's still financial issues with the club, and there's a lot of some other there's some things going on in terms of uh, fans with uh, season ticket renewals and whether or not they should actually go through with them or not, and plus all the other um, stuff from previous. Uh, board members as well. And there's been some. There's still been some dispute among the board, but if if things continue to go well for for Rangers, Rangers will soon be back in the pre, in, in the SPL with Celtic. And while I've often said that they're better off together, that they do complement. They they it's definitely better for them to be playing the old formation. Celtic people, they have to be a little bit worried because this is this is this becomes probably the one this for look how long it's been since somebody other than Celtic or Rangers won the SPL. You have to go back to a Sir Alex when he was at Aberdeen, I think it is, for the last team to break through that. Celtic knows full well that you know, oh, Rangers the, getting the, yeah. Of Sir Alex, head here. Yeah, right. But I think Celtic have to understand that Rangers pose a very real threat to Celtic dominance if they get back to the pre- if they get back to the SPL. And so this this choice of manager is not one to be taken lightly. And this is with like you said before, Stephen. They haven't done as well recently in the transfer market, so uh, you've got a situation where you're, you're not dealing with somebody 
who just needs to maintain the status quo anymore. This person, whoever comes in, has got to improve things, knowing what they face in the future, come possibly as early as the fall of 2015. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing that that's scary. Former Celtic, former Celtic player that's a free free manager right now, and I don't want to see him anywhere near it. I don't want to see him anywhere near any big team again. <sighs> I'm sorry, you broke up a lot there. I couldn't hear what you said. One of the one of the people that they're mentioning that is a former player, and he's a he's a former Manchester United manager too. David Moyes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Moyes would talk. Moyes was talking about briefly, but after his uh, arrest for assault at a bar, I'm not seeing that. I just I just don't see the that. The other one, the other there's uh, there's. Who else? Owen Coyle, who turned down, turned it down when um, Neil wanted it because he wanted to stay at a big team called Burnley. And Malky McKay, who also is a fantastic player. Yeah, Malky, Malky McKay, I could definitely see going after that one and be and be a good choice. You, you look at what he you talked about. You talked about the issues with the board at Celtic and the, and the problems they've been having. You know, Malky McKay st- stepped into a, a really goofy situation at, uh, at Cardiff City with uh, this screwball owner who said, yeah, 125 years of tradition with blue shirts is nothing to me. We're throwing them out because I like red, and therefore we're wearing red. So McKay, I think, would be an excellent choice in that regard. Because, and, again, being a former Celtic player, he understands full well the implications of what happens when Rangers, if and when Rangers do get back into the SPL. Yeah, David Moyes, just for, for the record, he was um, he's being investigated by uh, the police. I shouldn't say he was arrested, so I apologize for that. But he, he was alleged to have uh, been uh, outside a wine bar. Uh, somebody supposedly made some kind of unkind remark about his sacking by Manchester United, and he uh, Moyes is accused of pushing this person. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's a little less than half his age too. So uh, this is—he uh, went back inside. He was uh, a couple police officers questioned him at that time, and so this investigation apparently is is still going on. But with that going on, I just can't see Celtic considering it. Take that out. Yeah, possibility. I'm not sure how likely it would have been, but he might have gotten consideration with this hangover. I can't see Celtic try making that move. Hey Keith, Keith, can I talk a little MLS with you? Oh of yeah, absolutely. I was, the, can I, I, was at the, I was at the Crew Chicago game Saturday, so I fire away. Okay, well, well, actually, actually, I'd like to talk some revs with you if you don't mind. Yeah. Okay. Well, sure. Go for it. Because because I want to give you guys a player that I think should be part of the U.S. Men's National Team in four years. His name is Patrick Mullins. I don't know if you've seen this. I don't know if you've seen him play, but Patrick Mullins is uh, is uh, really uh, a tremendous target man right now for the Revolution. He's to me, he's the reason why the Revolution 
have gone from basically just a, a malaise in the beginning of the season to really becoming a force because he really has become the target man, the, the, uh, the real pinpoint of the offense for the revolution. He's always in the right position. He's alone up front, and he, like, he sets everything up for Fagundes and, uh, and also for, uh, for Teal Bunbury. And honestly, he's the real deal. I, I don't know if you've seen him play at all, but yeah, I don't I, again. Think I, did, he, did he play either of New England's first two games? Because I saw bits he did not. of them. He did not. So and actually, actually Jay, Jay, I have to give Jay Heaps all the credit in the world. Jay Heaps did this with Fagundes last year. He actually moved Fagundes a position about seven or eight games into the season, and and the the change he made changed their entire season last year. Well, this year, what he did, he he changed Teal Bunbury from being being the lone striker up front. He moved them out wide and put Patrick Mullins in his place, and and now you have now you have have on one side you have Fagundes, and the other side you have Bunbury. They keep on switching sides, and in between them you have. You have Kobayashi and you have uh, Lee Wynn, who's having a possible player of the year season. And right now the attack is, is truly unbelievable to watch. It's the best I've seen in years. But it all starts with Patrick Mullins. And if you watch Patrick Mullins, he's always in the right position. He's always in the thick of it. And positioning for the revolution has been key, and it just opens everything up. It's not just about goal scoring. He really is the complete player, and, and it's crazy for me to say that one player making that much of a difference, but he really has. Yeah, he was, he was only the uh, second, became only the second rookie to score uh, four goals in four games. Uh, four goals in, in four MLS. games. Yeah, and Damani But Ralph it's not even, but, but Keith, honestly, it's not even about the goals. It, it, you know, everyone's going to focus on the goals, and the goals actually have been tremendous goals. But it really, like I said, it's about what he offers. You know, you look at him, you don't think that he could play, I would say, a Bobby Zamora type of role. He actually can. He can hold up the ball very well, and then he can distribute it. And then, and then, and then he can go, go and attack from there. It's, you know, again, it's, it's crazy to see how much one player has made a difference in their season. It really is. Yeah, when you get a goal score can change things so much for a team, and I mean, you mentioned Diego Fagundes, and we saw what he did last year uh, with him when he finally, when he really emerged as a, as a, as a top-notch player uh, for the Revs. So, yeah, when, when after, yeah, I saw the first couple games that New England played, and it was, they, they could, it was, it was a challenge for them just to get the ball into the 18-yard box. Yep. Uh, never mind scoring goals. So this, like you said, this is, this, this kid Mullins has really uh, turned things around uh, he's only he's only 22. Cause, so, like you said, there's there's a possible future for him uh, in terms of the national team if he can keep scoring. Because like, we've seen uh, you're, you're, the one thing you're included has done, like his predecessors, is you know people who play well, uh, domestic players who play well, are going to get their chance. It's not necessarily about where they're playing. Uh, if they're in MLS, obviously it helps because we've seen you know, the competition in MLS now is. Is definitely better than what it was even say five years ago. Right. Uh, so hopefully, hopefully this will be one of those cases where he can develop here and get his chance on the national team and not necessarily have to go to Europe. And I'm not saying that's always bad. I mean, it's good to see the European clubs think our players are good enough 
but you like to see more of them stay here, obviously. It, it, right. It's a fine uh, balancing act, but, yeah, this is definitely, you know, I learned my lesson from you last year, Rush. You told us, oh, I think even before last year, you said, watch this kid Diego for goodness. He's going to be a good one. So <laughs> I'm going to mark this thing down and remember it, because usually, you're usually spot on with those things. Well, well listen, listen, I'm I'm not, you know, again, I, I try not to champion too many players unless I truly believe that that they have something, and, and uh, I really think, you know, again, this is a short, short spurt of time with, with Patrick Mullins, but if you, if you guys get a chance after the show, um, go on YouTube and, uh, and check out his goal against Toronto, his first goal with the Revolution. That's a, it's a special goal. Just go check that out, and, and then you'll understand what I'm talking about with this guy, and, and what's funny is that um, I saw someone actually – Take snapshots of uh, of the match against uh, the uh, the Seattle Sounders. It wasn't about the goals; it was about his positioning. He was involved with almost all of those goals against the Seattle Sounders. He was always in the thick of it. He was always right there, and it, and for and you could see how important his positioning in that box means to the Revolution. Goals or not goals, it's it's he's. It's his presence in that box that has made a huge difference, and and that's why you know it's like like I can tell you and I can tell you that Diego Fagundes started off slow, and now he's starting he's starting to, to to catch a little fire. But I think that Mullins has has a part to do with that. Yeah. Speaking of TFC, I don't know if you guys saw this story, but um, if you remember, we had uh, we have David Rowan on from uh, from WakingTheRed dot com. Uh, on a while back, and we were talking about the possible expansion of the playing surface at their stadium to accommodate uh, the Canadian Football League's Toronto Argonauts. Well, a part of that deal uh, was, that deal was partially contingent on getting some uh, money from the federal government, about $20 million worth Canadian. Well, apparently, this is good news for TFC fans, that might not happen. It's probably not going to happen uh, because there is renovation going to take place on the stadium, uh, partially for the soccer team, but also partially because uh, they're going to be hosting the uh, Toronto will be hosting the Pan American Games next month, and rugby is going to be played at the stadium. Um, so part of this agreement for the renovation was to make the fee play service bigger to accommodate a CFL field, which is uh, from end zone to end zone. 150 yards long. It's a 110-yard field, and you have two 20-yard end zones. So they have to take out the north section of the stand and move them. Uh, but apparently the federal government is not going to go out along with this. Uh, so you've got a situation where it looks like, A, you're probably not going to see turf at uh, return to that stadium. And also, uh, probably not going to be seeing the Canadian football field lines on there anymore. So uh, TFC fans certainly have to be happy with that. Uh, it, it leaves the Argonauts out, literally out in the cold because now they don't know where they're going to play come uh, 2018 when they get booted out of what used to be known as Sky Dome because the Blue Jays want to put grass in there. Uh, so uh, TFC uh, looking better in, in a number of ways here, both on the field and now uh, off the field. looks like they won't have to deal with uh, football-style lines on their field anymore. Well, there you go. Hey, Keith, listen, I, I, I hate to do this, but I actually have to drop off the line. Okay. But listen, well, as you. always, 
thank you so much for, for having me on. I really appreciate you guys letting me Any, uh, talk some anytime. stuff with you. Russ Goldman of the Cottage Talk podcast uh, for Fulham FC. Uh, follow him at Cottage Talk on Twitter uh, uh, to get all the all the ins and outs on Fulham FC as they go into this. Uh, Can I mention one other plug there, Keith? Sure, go ahead. Plug away. Um, well, well um, our second episode hasn't happened yet. We're hoping to do another episode this week. But, uh, but I am doing... I am co-hosting uh, a World Cup soccer podcast on WEI.com with Ben Kitchen, who is the uh, one of the producers for the Dale and Holly show on WEI, and uh, hopefully we're going to be doing our second one this week, but you can actually cool. listen to our World Cup soccer podcast right on WEI.com. WEI, that's big time radio up there in Boston. I'm very impressed, so uh, <laughs> glad to Glad to, you're you're moving up the ladder. I'm glad to see that. Just so, thought uh, yeah. just thought oh. I would throw it out there, Keith. Have a good night, oh, guys. Of course. You too, Russ. All right, have a good night. Coming, uh, Russ, good night, Stephen. Good night. So it's slightly smaller scale than when he is the um, talk sport Fulham Fulham expert uh, overnight. Yes. This is a, this is why I've got this is why I've got to bandy bander your name out a little bit more, Keith, and get, get make you the Manchester United expert for BBC Six Hundred Six or what? <laughs> or yeah, the BBC, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> or, or ITV or whatever. Um. Also, I wanted to I was going to pop on if um. Graham was going to be on, but this is kind of known in the Celtic uh, podcast dumb, and I don't know if you've seen it, I don't know, because I don't know how much you follow Graham on on Twitter and Facebook, but um, yeah, his I, wife I follow is, on Twitter. His wife is pregnant with their first child. He, his um, Henrik Will Henrik Larson Wilson is going to be is due at the end of I think November. They've already named him uh, that. Uh, congratulations, Graham, to you and your wife. Uh, best wishes uh, going forward. Hope everything goes uh, completely smoothly on that. Uh, you'll you'll love it, believe me. So we're we're definitely very happy for both of them. So still not as great of a name as your son's name is. When you texted me that the other day, I'm like, oh, brilliant one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well it's funny. Well, it's funny we have. All my friends, when he was born, we gave, they heard the name. They said they all said the same thing. That's a great name for a soccer player, but he better have your your uncle. He better have his uncle Chris's talent, not his old man. <laughs> I was actually thinking a baseball pitcher. Well, we're thinking Scott, basketball okay. actually, because he played yeah. he played his first year of organized basketball last year. Really loved it and improved tremendously. Just playing soccer for as long as he did really helped. Uh, yeah. In terms of understanding the game and his feet too, do you see kids get that big that soon? They sometimes can be awkward or clumsy. He hadn't had that problem, uh, so we're you know we're, we're so we're we're hoping uh, you know there might be a little bit of a varsity basketball future down the line somewhere because he's I mean he's already tall he's twelve he's not even thirteen he's already taller than me. I blew past my father at twelve and he's. My dad's five eleven and I'm six three, so it looks I'm, I'm like five, I'm five. Yeah, I'm five You're ten, five. but I, I put that picture. You know, Fra- Frankie Haddock. I said you know, I was at the game. I saw Frankie Haddock. Yes, I got a picture with him and, and my son. And uh, you know, Fra- Frankie's like you know five seven 
um, maybe five six, and uh, so he's obviously towered over uh, Frankie, which was kind of funny at times too. But uh, uh, yeah, Frankie, definitely Frankie, if you if you hear us, well, we'd love to have you on too. Frankie works as a, a club ambassador now for the uh, for the Columbus Crew, and he was out there doing his usual thing before the game as well as uh, leading the. Uh, Leading the cheers with the uh, the Nordeka people uh, during a good portion of the uh, pregame uh, Saturday before the crew played Chicago, which is uh, which is always fun, which is always fun. Also, uh, Keith kind of knows this, but I haven't really said this on, on air. We are going to be once a month the go-to podcast for for the San Diego Flash. Last year, what was it? It was last year about this time, their CEO, Clint Alexander, called in and talked about all the fun they're doing. Well, he called me over over the weekend, and he wanted to know what it would take to be on our show once a month, to do a half-hour to 15-minute spot. And it's not only necessarily going to be him. Um, We have access to... Warren Barton, Eric Winalda, any player, and Clint at any time. Just, we just have to set it up. So probably next week, hopefully if I'm able to talk next week, but this whole having the tooth out thing is getting, it's getting real fun, actually. So, so sometime coming up, and then we've got in two weeks, hopefully it's Christopher D- Dwyer of, thir- what was it, 30 30- 30 Days in America? Yes. Uh, Christopher Dwyer wrote uh, 30 Days in America. He wrote a, a novel uh, about a couple of guys trying to see every match of the 1994 World Cup. And uh, while it is, for the most part, fictional, uh, for what I saw, it's a pretty interesting story. And I remember, what it was, I, I remember what it was like back then in terms of the soccer atmosphere was going at the World Cup. I got to see the uh, Sweden-Russia match at the soon-to-be-demolished uh, Pontiac Silverdome. Uh, so it's going to be fascinating to get him on this. So we'll be, uh, hopefully a couple weeks, Christopher Dwyer uh, will join us on that one. Also, um, we're still working on both Brad Davis as well as uh, Christopher Rolfe uh, as possible future guests on the show. I know I've exchanged a couple of emails with Chris uh, on that one. Um, of course, he's in the middle of his season, so that might that might take a while. Because Brad Davis just making the national team, he probably won't be available until after the World Cup. But it'd be nice to get, be cool to get him on and see, you know, get his viewpoints on what happened in the World Cup. So we got some interesting guests to get with the San Diego Flash. Uh, anyone, people can actually buy a share of that team uh, if you go to if you follow their Twitter, SD Flash Soccer. Uh, on Twitter, you know, Barton, Warren Barton and Eric Winola from Foxworth, they're involved with this club as well, and uh, which is part of the reason why we'll hopefully have them on here in the future so that uh, uh, not only is it going to be great to have them on, but, uh, well, I think you know what I'm going to be doing off to the side of the show up as well. So yeah, you're going to get an email about that one because I, w- I, was, I was warned about that. Uh about me asking about a job with Fox? <laughs> yeah, I was already warned about that one. In other words, don't bother, right? I, I 
I was more like Clint about. I'll I'll email you. I'll email. Okay. <laughs> I'll email you. But anyway, um, but also you don't need a small promotion. That, I, you're not wrong with it. I need to do more self-promotion with my writing and stuff because okay, a soccer writer can't write about the as I was told really nicely this week. <sighs> Society is strange. Um, also, I mean, we have watched of the 30 and 30s for ESPN soccer. Now, I through this, I mean, has there been any other people thought of that should be used? Yeah, I, and I mentioned this in the beginning. I think what happened in uh, in Cote d'Ivoire uh, before, I believe, the, the 2006 World Cup, when their qualification actually brought a temporary halt to the civil war that was going on, I think that would be... I wish that's what they would go into because so many of what they've done have been you know, sad, tragic stories. And, and, and I'm not putting... And, and Hillsborough is an exception. Hillsborough, because of what happened and what we now know, contrast with what first came out, Hillsborough was a story that needed to be told and told fully because uh, of all the, the things that went on in terms of uh, you know, the covering up, the redaction of records, all that sort of thing, and the, the false blame place, and the Liverpool support. That was very heavy. Film. But you look at some of the others, you know, the story of Ganinja. It was very sad in how, in how he, his life went and how it ended. Uh, what, the, story, the one with, uh, with Chile uh, and the qualifications for the 1974 World Cup and what was going on uh, politically in the country at that time as well. Uh, the one about Barbosa which, you know, his life, did, wasn't, his life wasn't trash. He lived a pretty good life, but it was made so much more difficult by, by the people uh, of Brazil because of what happened in that match against, against Uruguay. And so it, would be, it would be nice to see something a bit more positive and uplifting because we, as, uh, what happened with Cote d'Ivoire was reminded you of what happened in, in, in ancient Greek times with the, the original Olympic Games, how they would halt their wars to allow their athletes to to get to Athens to compete. And it, seeing that, that story reminded me so much of that sort of thing and how, you know, you know obviously you know, sport cannot solve the world's problems, but it could certainly have a good impact on the people who are affected by them and can hopefully bring about uh, you know, some hope uh, for people. Uh, you know, and the, the, line, the line in the promos uh, for that World Cup uh, that ESPN ran, the way they were using the YouTube song Magnificent, and Bono was doing the voiceover, and he, said, and he had the line about, it brings respect, football brings respect to countries where respect is in short supply. Uh, and I think that's, you know, that's the kind of thing that sport can do uh, for people, uh, again, it, it, you know, it can, it can't, you know, the people who run sports can't solve the problems. The athletes certainly can't solve the problems, but they can certainly help people's attitudes, give them some hope, give them a, a chance to, hey, maybe we can do something better. And so that, that's one story I would like to see, 
told as far as that's concerned. I the another one that I I'm hoping somebody would do. I wish we do would do is with regard to the, the 1990. I'm also you know well I know this is made anyway because the great Paul Larkin's actually doing it. But I would like to see Ian go into eyebrows and actually go through what really happened. What, what the last years were, the asterisk years were, why that fell. I, that, would, that would be something. And also the other thing that would be good is to do the Munich aircraft. Yeah, that's, that's one that's there have been a few documentaries uh, in England as well as, uh, as, you know, there's been talk about a movie being done. Uh, there's even a show uh, here on, I believe it's on Smithsonian Channel called Air Disasters, and they went into that in one episode of that show as well. Um, it, w- it would be, it, that would make it a good uh, film. I know some of the, I know some of the, families of the, the people who were killed in that, as well as the survivors, they've, there have been some objections voiced to some of the the, the, prod, the TV movie projects that have been done in the past, because they're like you know, what happened at Hillsborough, there was uh, some question about what really caused the plane to crash, and who was to blame, who was to blame for it in terms of the, the pilot uh, was eventually exonerated uh, after much, many, many investigations, much like the Liverpool phase were exonerated at Hillsborough, um, and it would be fascinating to see it. But another, the one I talked about before is, is you know, the 1994 World Cup. I would like to see somebody do a film in regards to contrasting what the soccer landscape is like today, especially in terms of the media, as opposed to what it was back then. Because up until then, I've talked about this a lot, bashing the sport oh, that would be really rampant. And, you, and, it would be, and it would be an interesting angle as part of that film to go about to explore how social media's impact has, has made a difference. Because it certainly has. Because I, I mentioned this before on the show. You are in a situation now where people do not have – there's so much more media out there, obviously, than there was even, say, 20 years ago or 25 years ago, uh, I remember uh, Bob Costas was interviewing Al Michaels on one of his shows on MLB Network, and he talked about, and he talked about the, the Loma Prieta earthquake at the 1989 World Series. He talked about, hey, you know, today we would know immediately what was going on because of Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever the case may be. But back then we didn't. Al Michaels was pretty much the only live link anybody in America had to what was going on there, and, and Michaels did such a good job, he became really the second sportscaster after the late great Jim McKay to receive an Emmy nomination for news reporting. And but social media has made such a difference, I think, in the soccer world in terms of whether it be podcasts like ours or just spreading the getting things out on Twitter. They don't have to necessarily wait for media coverage. People don't necessarily have to wait for media coverage. They can generate their own. And this is especially important for all the clubs that are outside of MLS, whether it be the USL Pro, NASL, or the NPSL, or in the, kids, the, the women's leagues, too. This is something that people can get the things out there themselves 
rare the way for media coverage because let's face it, unless it's an MLS team, media coverage is not going to be easy to come by. Uh, certainly not on a national level by any stretch of the imagination. So to see what impact social media has had on the, on the game of soccer in terms of the popularity as well as the, the, the traditional media coverage, I think will be a fascinating film to do. You know, there's another tool I just thought of, and I don't want to go into the disaster type of thing. One is the Burden Park disaster with Bolton in the 1945. I've written about it years ago, but nobody really know nobody really knows that Bolton was actually really good in the well during the war. Do some like a teams we have never heard about, kind of like what happened what happened at Burden Park. Also, the other one is the Bradford City Fire. We see a lot of the pictures of the Bradford City Fire, but to go back and actually go over that, because there's a lot of people that are Bradford City fans that are still scarred from that. It's kind of called the, the lost tragedy, because if you think of the 70s and 80s in soccer, my God, the amount of stuff that, that went down. I mean, my, my God, Ibrox had one. I mean, I you, bought you, January 1971, yes. Then yeah. you had that, which you had Hazel Stadium in 1985 before the European Cup final with Juventus and Liverpool, of course, Hillsborough. Uh, but certainly those weren't the only ones. You know, the, the, the laws were different back then in terms of the crowds, obviously. You, you certainly uh, yeah. we saw a lot of changes, uh, especially at the Hillsborough regarding the, the terraces with the standing room seating. And, and again, we're, we're not trying to pin the blame on the Liverpool supporters, but let's, the simple fact is your festive standing room type seating or festival seating, we call it in America, it just isn't as safe as an all-seater stadium. You know, we even saw and they that want here. Uh, it, it, and they want to freaking go back to it now, which is, anno- which is annoying. And the sad thing is I, w- I would love someone – to go to Kenny Daglish and actually say that to his face. Because Kenny's at Hillsborough, Hillsell, and Ibrox. Yeah. And, Kenny, and Kenny, made, Kenny attended just about, I think of the 96 funerals, four of those people were killed. I think he attended at least 80 of them. You know, he, actually, he actually re-said that. He's gone to all 96, and he talked. Did he get, okay. He got all of them. That he he was late uh, he was late on at least one of them, but that was that was because he when he was between all the teams he was going to. It, it would be interesting. To, it would be in, and the other the other one that I, and I don't I doubt this will ever happen. Is and Jason and Jared joked about this. Is to, is to do the Freddie Adu story. I wouldn't want to see that yet because there's still that story still being written. He's only what twenty four years old. There's a long way to go on that. A long, long way to go. I will that let's you know, come, come back to me on that and say ten, fifteen years, and then and then she's go ahead and then have a go yeah. at it. But it's it's too early. Too many viable, is, is he still a viable? news story 10 to 15 years from now, or are we talking 10 to 15 years from now, Julian Green, Gilliam Azem, that we've, we've 
we've flipped it and lost again. Because the see, that's, thing, that, that's part of that's part of my point. You 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 want to see how the story plays out because there's still enough time for another chapter or two. You you looked at let's say you, tennis is a good example because tennis gets a lot of these young kids in there. You look look at Tracy Austin. You know, Tracy Austin was huge late seventies, won the U.S. Open. The whole the whole she is sixteen years old. She was this huge star. Everybody thought she was going to be the next Chris ever and was going to be the next dominant player, and it didn't happen. And she never was able to come back. Then later on, around 1990, Jennifer Capriati comes along, and everybody starts when things start, you know when things start going well for her, when things start going bad, they start out very very well, but things started to get away, and everybody starts pointing to Tracy Austin again, and of course she ultimately had the downfall where she dropped out of the game, was arrested was on drugs, that kind of stuff. And then she was able to come back later on, you know, when she was like around 27, 28 years old, and become, and become uh, and get up into that top 10 status again. So there's still another chapter two way to be written about Freddie Adu, and I'd like to wait and see how it, I would rather wait and see how it all plays out because it could be, it could turn out to be a story of, yeah, there was too much hype too soon. He never could live up to it. Or a case of, yeah, it was, you know, everybody thought he was going to be great, and then he dropped up the face of the earth. It turns out he was a pretty good player after all. So not knowing, there's an ending there that we don't know, and nobody knows how it gets us. I'd rather, you know, Freddie Adu is a story that to me has to wait about 10 or 15 years before you can tell it fully and appreciate for what happened, especially at the beginning when he, you know, everybody thought he was going to be the the, uh, the American Pelé. Yeah, which probably really shot him. Which probably really shot him. I mean, I, I, I the and the other the joking one on this, and I know you're I you're done for this. Is what lifetime to this one? The real story behind Ronaldo. Oh, I'd love to see that. Uh, I'd be. Whether or not you get the principles to talk about a whole lot, uh, I'm not sure. But that would that would be a, that would be a fun that would be a fun one. Do it in a soap opera format because that's really what it turned into uh, when it all when all was said and done. <laughs> I did that. That was that would be a one. Yeah. That would. That- there's a lot of stuff out there in soccer, and it's kind of one of the reasons why I'm a, an opinion and history writer. There's a lot of stuff out there that you can find. I mean, the unfortunate thing with Brazil this year is that some people know about Barbarossa and the eternal, the fateful final, that you can't write that one anymore. We we both read Alex Paulos' book, Football, which you are going to buy it by this week. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, the 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 story of our Barbosa really kind of I think it illustrated a lot uh, to me. It gave you it didn't do enough. I think see that's the problem with these thirty for thirty soccer stories. If the half hour they're given is not enough time. If you go into it for an hour, I think it'd be a lot better. Especially kids like Barbosa. And I think what they could have done in his case is they could have gone a lot more into when you 
taught the, the, the book we read, the football, the Brazilian way of life that we have. And um, uh, and I want to, I want to, I definitely want to grab that so I can give proper uh, credit to the author on that one. So to make sure we know we're very uh, thankful for getting those books. But uh, yeah, Alex Bellos, who wrote that book, I uh, definitely want to thank him for sending that to us. But I think that film would have been a lot better served if you could have gone more into, you know, what what a goalkeeper's life is like, what a goalkeeper uh, sees, how a goalkeeper sees the game opposed to the rest of the players, and especially, you know, in Brazil where, you know, obviously it's it's all about, uh, you know, Jogo Bonito, the beautiful game, and, and uh, you even at how little, how underappreciated goalkeepers especially can be in Brazil, well, it applies to most of South, most of South America, but especially Brazil, uh, so known for and Argentina, so known for the attacking football. It would have been nice to have the time to go into you know, the mentality of a goalkeeper, what a goalkeeper has to deal with, and how and how. Uh, I mean, I spent a lot of time on how he he dealt with it, but but to see the game from sorry about it that. Would be great to see, that's okay. It would be great to see more time spent in field to, to show how the game is seen through the goalkeeper's eyes to give people a little bit better perspective in terms of, you know, what it meant, you know, for a, obviously it made a great point about from a personal level, uh, what he, what happened with him and how he was treated after, but just to understand the position itself and what the, what goalkeepers uh, see, how they feel, how they react, how they respond to that. So they, how much different what they do is compared to all the outfield players. It would have, I think that film would have been a lot better served with that sort of perspective in it. I hate thunderstorms. Yeah, yeah, we had we've got we had one brief one roll in earlier, and uh, some more due to come in later tonight here in Central Ohio. Yeah, we're just getting that. What I was saying before that, you're talking about what it would be like to see. See what a goalkeeper thinks. Go out, go and look online. Jonathan Wilson just did a book about goalkeeping, from, and it's the it's the mindset from top goalkeepers. I think I, I don't think Levy Yashin's in it because I don't think I don't think Yashin's still alive. But he goes no, and talks. Yeah, he goes and talks to all top goalkeepers from around the world, and we all know Jonathan Wilson. He's a freaking brilliant writer. I mean, he has a he has a really bad taste in teams. He's a Sunderland fan, but I he's you've got you've got actually my only you have my only um, Jonathan Wilson book left. He did a he did a book on um, Sunderland before all of before all of that. So anyway, no, it would have been interesting to do that with the Barbarossa one. I'm hoping they put these stu- this stuff all up. Uh, on like Hulu or something, so we can watch them again on the, back and forth because those were just brilliant. Yeah, the the Outsider: A History of the Goalkeeper is the title of Jonathan Wilson's book. Jonathan, if you're listening, we can, we'd like to have you on there too. Uh, yeah, definitely, it's on Amazon. Uh, of course, what isn't these days? But uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, something I'd like. I definitely a book I would like to uh, to read. I, there's, I know there's an interview. Uh, with him uh, from back in uh, December 2012 on uh, BBC.com. Uh, so yeah, that's 
That's definitely one I would like to read. I actually was joking. I was I was I was thinking when I, last year when I saw it come out because I think it's been out for a bit right now. I was like, I should just slip that in a box and send it to Keith. And, I fear I, I feared at that time, but I didn't have your I didn't have your of your address at the time, so I couldn't send no, you. you but what you guys are missing here is I shipped off to Keith my bulk uh, my bulk books that I bulk soccer and a couple history books in there for Keith and I, I'm just looking through my I'm looking through my, my, yeah my yes. Yeah, my wife was wondering about why the book of sonnets that you included. That's, uh, that's what that, was, that, was a, that was my joke book out of all of that. I was just like, what the oh, hell? Okay. I was like, because I always throw something really random in, and that's not even half. That's not even half my soccer collection right now. Yeah. I would have I would have slipped in the um, Celtic books, but I didn't think you would want those in. I'm sure you don't. Want, I'm sure you don't want my um, Kenny Daglish books. Well, I wouldn't mind that too much. I mean, he's a Scotsman after all. And, uh, yeah. You know, I, he's a Rangers fan. Yeah, he grew. That's right. He grew up a Rangers supporter. Yeah, he was a big Rangers supporter. He, he had to hide all the. He had to hide it all when um, Jack Steen came in to to recruit him. So anyway, we've got about a minute left. I want to. I want to thank everybody for being on and putting up putting up with us this week. It's been Stephen Brandt and Keith Kokinda, and hopefully I will.